Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. Tonight on Eye on the Triangle's final edition of Spring Semester 2010, an abbreviated look at your top headlines, an extended VIP segment about the latest imbroglio next door to the technician, and my editorial on why I think anger at Wall Street is a little misguided. I'm Evan Garris. Stay tuned for this and more only on WKNC. This weekend news on Eye on the Triangle. A brief rundown of the latest news. Over the weekend, New Yorkers were given a scare when a makeshift car bomb was discovered in Times Square. Members of the NYPD's bomb squad defused the device without incident. Described as a, quote, amateur, described as, quote, amateurish, it was hidden inside of a 1993 Nissan Pathfinder and was composed of propane tanks, gasoline canisters, and fireworks. A sidewalk vendor alerted authorities when he heard loud pops and saw smoke emanating from the vehicle produced by the bomb's detonation device. According to the New York Times, the owner of the Nissan Pathfinder was located on Monday by the FBI, but has not been implicated. Authorities are looking for a suspect that purchased the vehicle approximately three weeks ago. CEO of British Petroleum Tony Hayward has vowed to pay for the massive oil spill caused by one of the company's oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. Coastal states have declared states of emergency as the spill continues to grow at an overwhelming rate. U.S. Justice Department officials were dispatched to the area today to meet with federal prosecutors and response teams, according to CNN. Attorney General Eric Holder intends to hold BP fully liable. BP has so far been, quote, responsive in the containment process, but weather conditions have hampered the cleanup. Six to ten foot swells have made deploying booms to prevent the spread of the spill difficult. Last night, a mob of NC State students shut down Hillsborough Street here in Raleigh after a massive party was shut down at the heart of the university's campus. Police told students that their presence was unlawful because they didn't have a permit, so they proceeded to march down Hillsborough Street towards the state capitol building. The study break turned flash mob didn't make it all the way downtown, but students seemed to enjoy themselves regardless. ABC 11 reports that no arrests were made and all of the students were well behaved. On this day, in 1802, the city of Washington, D.C. was incorporated. In 1921, West Virginia imposed the first state tail, st- excuse me, state sales tax, tongue twister. In 1951, the Kentucky Derby is televised for the first time. And in 1963, the police force in Birmingham, Alabama, responds with violent force to civil rights protesters. Birthday shout-outs go to, in 1469, Niccolo Machiavelli, in 1903, crooner Bing Crosby, and in 1961, controversial Louisiana Senator David Vitter, made famous by a scandal involving the late D.C. Madam. The time is 7.09. Stay tuned as Eye on the Triangle continues next with Tyler Everett and a rundown of the latest in sports news. From the sidelines on Eye on the Triangle. Your weekly update on athletic events. Hi, I'm Kate Shefty and you're listening to Eye on the Triangle Sports. I'm here with Tyler Everett and he's going to answer some questions about Technician's end of the year report card. But first, we're going to talk about some very exciting goings on that happened last week, including the acquisition of a five-star recruit. Tyler, do you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, the uh, long-awaited decision by C.J. Leslie as to where he was going to suit up next uh, next winter, he made it last week. He uh, is graduating high school in a couple weeks. He decided after his freshman year he wanted to come to NC State, but um, he uh, decommitted, and it opened up 
a real dramatic, long, drawn-out recruiting process. It was between State, Kentucky, and UConn. Rumors were swirling every day from the UConn side that he was definitely going to UConn because of X or Y. Um, a lot of State fans were confident. Some of them, like me, were uh, took a believe-it-when-we-see attitude and then broke the uh, broke the suspense last Wednesday, I believe. Uh, announced it first on Facebook, and then all the local media outlets were, were quick to jump on it. State fans, everybody was calling each other. I know I was calling everybody in my family, calling friends. It was, it was really exciting. State hasn't won anything big in a while, so this was as close to a, to a championship-type news day for the Wolfpack as, as I can remember. So it's thrilling, and then you consider the two recruits that were already in the fold, uh, Lorenzo Brown, a slasher with a, with a jump shot, and then Ryan Harrow, an absolutely electrifying point guard. If you haven't seen his highlights on YouTube, uh, do yourself a favor and check those out. But those two plus Leslie, uh, definitely reason for a whole lot of optimism surrounding Wolfpack basketball. So, Tyler, why is it you think he dragged his feet so much on this decision? Um, I think he saw other recruits after he uh, first committed and all the attention they were getting and uh, saw that as something he wanted, something he was attracted to. He decommitted to open up, open himself up, look at his options. I'd have done the same thing if I was that elite of a recruit. I would have let the top programs in the country come calling. I would have heard him out, and I would have made the decision. Um, I would have waited till the last minute, too. Um, just to make sure you make the best decision. This is going to be a million-dollar decision for him. He's somebody that's almost certainly going to entertain serious thoughts of going professional and, and getting paid a ton of money, so he needed to make sure he was going to go to the place where he could best prepare himself to do so. So I, I completely understand it. And obviously for however long he stays, he will be a great asset to the pack. Can you talk about how? I think I think next year's team is shaping up nicely. I, I hinted at this earlier. I'm always cautiously optimistic, to put it lightly, with some of the disappointments I've seen in my lifetime with NC State sports. But um, with the season Tracy Smith's had, I've been a big fan of Tracy Smith this whole year. I thought his accomplishments were, were downright incredible considering um, the lack of help he had at a lot of times, and he still got it done anyway. Night in, night out, really was a great player in one of the toughest conferences in the nation. Um, went off against Duke. One team tried to single single cover him, and he uh, he would he dominated and was a big key in, the, in State's biggest victory of the year. So you got him coming back. You've got a strong backcourt. Um, you've got a, one of the best wingmen, one of the best young wingmen in the country, and Leslie uh, joining the fold. So a lot of talent. Um, one big man can can do a lot for you, and you surround him with not only good guards, but another player on the wing, maybe on the block a little bit. Leslie can probably multitask play uh, at both of those spots. So uh, definitely room for definitely good reason for optimism. Nice. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this for a very long time, but let's move no, on. No way. <laughs> but let's move on to the um, summing up the rest of the sports seasons. Um, in this week's Technician, we have a spring report card that covers all of the winter and spring sports, and not a lot, no A's, but also not a lot of that of low grades either. I guess that means kind of a mediocre year for the pack in general. Um, but, uh, there were some bright spots definitely. And, uh, do you want to start with our game of the year, uh, basketball victory over number six ranked Duke? Uh, yeah, the game of the year, January 20th state had just won. Believe they had just lost a, uh, a real close failed comeback attempt against Duke. Uh, the game before that they had beat Florida state. So, uh, this was very early in the ACC season. Um, certainly huge underdogs against a Duke team that had, uh, three major star superstars in Kyle Singler, Nolan Smith, and John Shire. And if you were watching the game, you wouldn't have known which team was the favorite. State really looked like they were the team you would have thought was going to win big. They dominated pretty much from start to finish. 
Uh, just touched on what Tracy Smith did in that game. Like I said, they tried to single cover him. Uh, paid for it sorely. I believe he had 14 in the first half alone. Dennis Horter pointed, poured in 20 points. Javi Gonzalez and Farnold DeGan were both probably at their best that game. They consistently got into the lane, and when they didn't finish at the bucket, they, they dished it off to Smith and to Horner and, and other players for, for easy baskets. It was it was real exciting. It brought back kind of the energy. A lot of state fans, older fans than me, I wasn't born then, unfortunately, but a lot of older fans than me remember from the 80s and associated with Reynolds the way the crowd was rocking and just a huge win. And I got a feeling it had a lot to do with the uh, with Leslie coming here, seeing what, what his future teammates can do when they're at their best. And our we our coach of the year, uh, to no one's surprise, is Miss Kelly Harper. Mrs. Kelly Harper, excuse me. Uh, she, <laughs> and um, she uh, has earned her fair share of praise this year. Uh, what what do you think put her over the top? I think it was she, her team finished really really strong. They lost in the first round of the tournament, of the NCAA tournament. They lost big, but other than that, they had a strong finish to the regular season. I believe they won. Uh, either four out of five or their last five down the stretch. I wasn't following women's as close as I was men's, but I know they finished big, and then they had a, a real surprising run to the ACC Tournament Championship. They beat two or three uh, nationally ranked teams on the way to that game. They lost to Duke by 10 in that game, but the fact that a young team like that made it was extremely impressive, and I believe the women's basketball team was about 3-6 and six at one point in the ACC play, so to make that tournament run – and to make the conference tournament run and then to make the national tournament at all just to even make it was a huge accomplishment, especially in a coach's first year. Lowe has been here four years on the men's side and hasn't been there, so Harper's already got the women's team playing well, playing really well. I think they got the highest score on our report card with a B-plus, and solely for the reason that they got bounced in the first round of the NCAA. But um, is one of the reasons why you think she got it because she promised results and she delivered them? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think a lot of fans were uh, looking to see Glantz, the interim head coach last year after Kay Yow's passing. I think a lot of people were looking for her to be the coach and maybe were were not pleased with the selection of Harper, but Harper certainly came in and really did a great job. I don't think anybody now is, is still wondering about that. I know a lot of people know women's basketball better than me, but I think I don't think many people are, are questioning that decision any longer. I think a lot of people are really happy with Harper and really excited about the direction she's taking this women's basketball team in. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have uh, your boy Tracy Smith as our male athlete yeah. of the year. I don't know if we need to sing his praises anymore, but um, Taylor Steeman was our female athlete of the year. She's not only pretty darn good at uh, pigskin picks, but um, a very good gymnast as well. Uh, how about her? She had a she had a great career here. She capped it off in style. She became the NC State's first ever All American a few weeks ago at the NCAA Championships. I believe it was on the uneven bars where she made All American. Um, also had really strong all around performances. Really carried her team in a number of ways. One of the gymnastics team's best seasons in a while. I believe we graded them with a B plus, uh, tied for the highest grade any any spring. Uh, semester sport team was uh, rewarded. They uh, they had a they had a really good year. They're top the Eagle Conference once again. Yeah, they had their upset. They had one of their biggest upsets in program history with the win over I believe n- number ten ranked Nebraska. Uh, we talk just finish off. Talk a little bit about current uh, courts that 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 a sport currently in progress. Baseball. They've had a very up and down season. They just uh, polished off a series win over Georgia. Um, ranked top 10 ranked Georgia Tech this weekend after being swept by Boston College last weekend. So what in the world is going on with the baseball team? 
I don't think anyone knows. Honestly, they have been uh, – it's been almost maddening, the wins they've had and then the losses they've turned around and dropped. Uh, They started off big. They won 65-15 total in the first three-game series of the year, and then they followed that up with an upset of uh, UC Irvine, who was number three in the nation at that time. Since then, they've been 17-7 and overall and 11-13 in the conference. They took one of three from UNC, a good baseball program, but not as good this year as they have been in past years. State only took one of three from them. Getting swept by Boston College was was puzzling, to put it lightly. Boston College is a team that, that struggled all year, and considering some of the opponents State has taken down, it was it was baffling that, that they were swept by them. And then this weekend, you know, you, you get a Georgia Tech team coming to town that, that beats – that beats people uh, by a wide margin on a regular basis, and for State to take two or three from them was incredible. They also took two or three from Virginia, another, I believe they're number one in the nation. So State's got two series victories over some of the country's best. They've also got losses to teams like UNC Wilmington and uh, some other opponents that, like Boston College that you would have maybe penciled in as victories. But uh, for whatever reason, the inconsistency's been 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 a big problem. Postseason prospects? Um. I, I'm not an expert on this. I believe they're in they're in pretty good shape with this recent series victory over Georgia Tech. I think they still need to finish strong. I believe they've got Florida State and another series. I'll be honest, I don't know off the top of my head, but they need they need to I think at least go five hundred, if not better, to make the ACC tournament. Only eight teams make the ACC tournament. Um, State's right on the fringe. I believe they're number eight right now, so they could maybe with some with a big finish, they could maybe rise up closer to seven or six, but with some more bad losses they could also fall out of the ACC tournament and then uh, the ACC tournament will be a chance for them to give themselves a shot of the NCAA tournament these big wins will certainly help but stay in the obvious here a little bit but the but the strange losses will hurt too so it'll be interesting to see what the committee thinks thanks Tyler you've been listening to I in the Triangle Sports uh, with Kate and Tyler have a good one <laughs> don't believe a word I say whatever gets you through the day Evan's opinions on the latest news. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, student media, or NCSU. Watching politicians seize on populist anger and grandstand in front of their all-too-receptive constituencies makes me reach for the nearest emesis basin. It's bad enough that it's an election year. Those infernal nuisance television ads clog the airways in endless supply, coupled with those vulgar, tasteless cardboard signs that pollute the landscape. They give a few incumbent senators a congressional hearing with a top Wall Street banking firm, and then I really feel queasy. Anger over the taxpayer bailout of Wall Street is understandable, but I think it's beginning to manifest itself in an ill-conceived, overly politicized fashion undoubtedly due in no small part to the upcoming midterm elections and the looming prospect of financial reform. The so-called masters of the universe at Golden so- at Goldman Sachs are the new persona non grata on Capitol Hill and around kitchen tables nationwide, granted somewhat justifiably, but I find this case particularly troubling. Here's my take. On April 16th, the Securities and Exchange Commission slapped Goldman and one of its vice presidents with a lawsuit, accusing them of defrauding investors by, quote, misstating and omitting key facts about a product tied to subprime mortgages as the U.S. housing market was beginning to falter. 
that product, a complex financial derivative called a collateralized debt obligation, or CDO, an abstract bundle of home mortgages, was packaged together and then sold to investors prior to the burst of the housing bubble and subsequent economic meltdown. What the SEC alleges is that Goldman knew the contents of this CDO or the individual mortgages were no good and would default not long after being sold. Supposedly, Goldman misrepresented to its investors that an independent third party, a mortgage selection agency called ACA, had underwritten the quality of the mortgage mortgages comprising the CDO that Goldman intended to sell. Instead, a hedge fund named Paulson & Company is cited as having a role in the selection process, picking mortgages it knew would fail and then shorting them, market terminology for betting on their failure. A Goldman Sachs vice president is then accused of misrepresenting to the initial investors that Paulson & Company had wagered on the, the success of their CDO when in fact they had bet on its failure. Paulson & Company purportedly made $1 billion from this deal and the investors lost about that much. Now, the SEC is charged with proving that Goldman lied about Paulson & Company's involvement in the deal, a task that will prove to be unfathomably difficult given the massive gray areas surrounding its actions. Where I have a problem with this entire imbroglio lies not with Goldman's behavior, but with the performance of every senator charged with inquiring into this very matter at last week's congressional hearing. As Goldman Sachs executives were paraded in front of the Senate panel, they were lambasted and excoriated by members of our legislative elite that appeared dumbfounded after learning that such extraordinary feats of lucrative market manipulation were even possible. Here's what I'd like to point out, that it's this that it's the same body or here's where I'd like to point out that it's this very same body of men and women that 20 years ago were singing the tune of deregulation. Thanks in no small part to the Reagan administration, we couldn't strike rules off the books fast enough so that the almighty gods of market capitalism could send torrential streams of money trickling down the economic plateau. Now that we've freed Wall Street from the chains of government regulation, we're left absolutely speechless when it behaves, well, exactly as we gave it incentive to do. We're looking for a scapegoat now that this recession is beginning to abate. Uh, if we're looking for a scapegoat, rather, let's not point our fingers at Goldman Sachs. Goldman did what Goldman does. It made money by using whatever dubious, sly methods it could conjure. Instead, let's be angry at their enablers, the very senators that slapped them on the hand for malfeasance and then turned around and asked them what sort of provisions they, the executives of Goldman Sachs, would include in any future financial reform bill. During last week's hearing, Senator Claire McCaskill's patronizing pointed jab at Goldman CEO Lloyd Blankfein made me laugh. She, with fire in her eyes and her Goldman mane, golden mane shaking in disbelief, said, and I quote, You guys think you're so smart? Well, Senator, they are, and that's exactly why they aren't sitting in your chair. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. VIP. Talking to people that matter. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's VIP. I'm Allison Harmon. Today's EOT is going to focus solely on the VIP segment we've been previewing, the issues surrounding NC State's daily student newspaper, The Technician. 
says she will not be hosting this part of the show due to her involvement in the Save Technician project and her former position as editor of Technician. But if you want to find out what she thinks on the subject, check out the blog later this week. This year, the process for selecting a new editor has changed. The Technician Advisory Board, comprised of selected students and professionals, now interview the candidates and then give their recommendation to the Media Board, a group of professionals that was handpicked by the Technician Advisor and others, which used to conduct the interviews. However, this has been a rough year for Technician. Its editor was dismissed due to a policy dispute at the end of the fall semester, and no one applied for editor-in-chief during the first go-around in applications. At this point, the Media Board charged former EIC, Saja Hindi, with heading a committee to recommend changes for the paper and to reopen the application process. The committee's work can be seen at savetechnician.com. When applications opened up again, five candidates applied. The board then unanimously selected freshman photographer Amanda Wilkins to serve as editor. However, current staff members feel that there were some serious issues in the hiring process. I on the Triangle decided to talk to advisory board members, student media board members, and current staff members to discuss the issue. Advisory board members Ben McNeely and Patrick Clark refused to comment, but we talked to student media board members Bob Ashley and Kelly Brackett, advisory board member Dick Revis, former editor-in-chief Josh Harrell, current staff members Tyler Everett, Kate Shefty, and Russell Witham, and new editor-in-chief Amanda Wilkins. Stay tuned for the full story. You're listening to VIP only on Eye on the Triangle. My name is Rachel Sloan, and today I had the opportunity to interview Josh Harrell, the editor-in-chief of The Technician for the 2007-2008 academic year. He sat down to explain the background of what it takes to be an editor of a daily student newspaper. If someone asked you to describe your job as editor-in-chief, what would you say to them? Basically, what I always told people was the editor-in-chief was the person who was the liaison to the rest of the NC State community. He or she was the figurehead of what was going on within The Technician, where the managing editor could deal with the day-to-day issues inside the paper. The editor-in-chief represented the rest of the outside world. And when anybody had issues with the technician, good or bad, at any kind of meeting or outside public event, it would be the editor who was responsible for representing the ideas that the technician. Why did you decide to take on this position? And did you feel like you were prepared for this? I did feel I was ready for it. I, that wasn't an issue. I was managing editor for a year before that and have been editor at multiple positions then, so my college career was kind of all about technician, and by that time, that was my it would have been my senior year. So yeah, I felt I was prepared and mature enough for it. Why I take it on? Uh, I, it was a sense of responsibility. I had been there for a while. My best friends were there, and I felt it was my duty to kind of carry on my predecessor's legacy. I guess it was my position, and it, it was kind of almost passed along to me where my duty to take it on. Um, and I was excited to do it at the time. There's a lot of things I wanted to accomplish and a lot of things I wanted to carry through from stuff that had come before me. Going in, I felt as though if that were the true responsibility of the editor, where they were the public liaison, I figured I would be good at that job. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't always work out like that because the editor has to worry about so many other things. As its, as its job duty should be to be that public liaison, it ends up being a lot of the day-to-day stuff, too, because you get so wrapped up in daily production of getting the paper out day in and day out, and it, it's tough to focus on bigger picture issues. What are some of the problems that have faced technician over the years, and how do you think that they can be solved? We've tried, at least if, if we did our job right, we've already tried our ideas, and we've tried to change it the way we see it should be changed. And somehow those hit barriers, and somehow they may not have worked out to our benefit, and we kind of hit a dead wall. To me, the changes, the, the biggest problem with technician and, and with the editors is just the extreme workload on students. I mean, we're in the upper staff members. At least my year, working 60 hours a week plus to put out the paper late nights and then early morning classes when you already have a full-time course load. Um, and it's tough, and there's pressure on us uh, to improve daily. And so it, dealing with the pressure of improvement and making putting out a good product and you know, the time constraints, it's, it's 
tough on full-time students, whether you've been doing it for four years or whether it's your first year. I think I was prepared for it because it was, that was my college experience. Like I said, I mean, that work, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week for a technician, that was just what I did. And so other people don't want to commit that, and I totally understand that, and that's a big issue because there's not the right amount of people that can commit that amount of time to make that paper the way it should be. Um, so fixing that is a difficult thing. You went through a much different process when you were selected to be editor. Can you explain it to the audience that might not understand how it works? When I was hired, and even the, the editor before me, we were the only candidates for the position. It was almost understood, and there were battles within, I guess, to prevent that from happening. But it was almost understood that, okay, this position was going to go to Josh. Or I've understood that whole year, uh, good or bad, I would have rather had competition. I would have rather, you know, had somebody... Uh, go against me or, or be editor, even. Um, it was understood, I guess, that we would be it. And so we applied like any normal person would, I guess, when, if there was competition, we had to submit a packet of our plan, uh, how what we were going to do with technician, a whole you know, work strategy of this is what we want to accomplish in our year as editor. Um, and then we submit that, and then we go through a board meeting where it's the student media board of directors who interview us about the process, where it's a room full of them, roughly 10 to 12 people, who would kind of interview us just like a job interview and kind of dissect our work plan and all of that. And then we would leave the room and they would decide whether or not we were qualified to be editor. And I guess in my year, it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. They signed me on and I became editor a month later, I guess. The best final question I can ask you is, what advice can you give to the new editor? I, you have to surround yourself. It's, it's, to me, it's all about the people around you. Um, if they're supportive of you and you can find the people who will work their tail off because they respect you. And that's that's what I found to be the, the best benefit to me as an editor. If you can find the people around, surround yourself with the people who trust what you're doing um, and will work for you. Um, that's that's the biggest thing because you're not going to do it all by yourself. This is it's such a difficult position. Um, but you have to find people who are going to sacrifice themselves for the paper as much as you are. And they're sacrificing themselves not only for the paper but also for your vision uh, because they believe in what you're doing. And that's what I was able to find with uh, with the people that worked for me as technician. And the whole time grooming people to take your place so that what you're doing now will continue for the next year, year and two years. And so that's that's the biggest thing of, of surrounding yourself with the people that trust you and what you're doing. Thanks, Josh. Josh is currently in film school in Nashville, Tennessee and assisting Tom Neff from the Documentary Channel. You're listening to Eye on the Triangles VIP. I'm Rachel Sloan. This is Chris Chaffee for Eye on the Triangle. Today I have Kate Shefty and Russell with them in the studio to talk about the technician and some of the issues that it's been having lately. Can you guys briefly uh, introduce yourselves and talk about uh, what you do at the uh, Technician? Okay. Well, both of us are recently unemployed, but uh, I am the former sports editor and executive editor. Hi, I'm Russell Witham. I uh, also am no longer an editor as of May 1st, but uh, up until then, for the last year, I was the viewpoint editor and the executive editor. So this seems to have been a pretty tough year for a technician. What would you say is the cause of all this, and has it been a developing thing, or did it creep up without warning? 
Well, it's definitely been a developing thing, but this year the unmentionable material definitely hit the fan. Um, we, we've we had recruitment issues for the last several years. Uh, people just aren't really interested in uh, coming up and writing for us anymore. It's um, all they hear all day, or not all day, but in their journalism classes is about how you know, journalism, print journalism is dying, and why would you really want to get on board with that? And so it starts with staff problems. And this past year, we, our editor, Ty Johnson, uh, was dismissed in January due to academic issues. And we were left without a, the four top positions um, in a newspaper, editor-in-chief, managing editor, news editor, and features editor. And uh, that was when the panic started. But... Um, a few of us uh, stepped up and took over, and uh, we thought that everything might be okay, but then no one applied for editor-in-chief for the fall, and um, everyone was kind of scared that the newspaper wasn't going to come out in the fall, which would be the end of an, well, I guess a 90-year run. And, uh, Russell, do you want to elaborate? Well, I mean, when you start to think about it, a lot of it does come back to, you know, those yearly staffing issues so you have you know one year staff might be a little larger next year might shrink a little bit and a lot of that really links back to the links back to the senior senior staff on that so what is your senior staffing looking like for that year and kate Kate really elaborated on that quite well we were facing a situation we were missing some of the top spots in the newspaper which really presents a major challenge when you're attempting to put together a product 155 days a year and you know we we carried on but a lot of it really uh it began to boil over for a lot of people when we moved forward and um, into the hiring process for the next editor. A lot of people were upset with the decision, and um, some of the concerns, rightfully so, others perhaps a little over-dramatized. But it was a situation that was really unsavory to a lot of the staff members who felt like they had put in a lot of hard work to an institution and to see that institution not really listen to their input. It was just it was disappointing for people. And what you saw was some serious staff uh, really feedback in a negative manner. And uh, it manifested itself on the pages of the newspaper. And more recently, the newspaper printed a editorial really calling for an independence of the paper. And now you can, you can kind of you know, twist that around to mean what you want. But what that really sums down to for a lot of people was independence from advising that was overbearing and a long-term goal of having a newspaper that didn't have university influence. Not to say that NC State can never have a daily Tar Heel like UNC Chapel Hill, which is completely independent of the newspaper. We don't have a journalism school, but we do have the largest student body in the state of North Carolina. And I think a lot of us felt like it would be a real travesty if we didn't have a five-day-a-week newspaper at the largest institution in North Carolina. Now, can you tell me a little bit about what kind of, I know you've been talking about how you say that recruitment is down and there's less people that are interested in the paper because their editing classes are telling them that no one cares about newspapers anymore. But what has Technician done in the past couple of years to try and bring in new people and recruit them to the uh, paper? Well, um, we go to all of the journalism classes and we talk to them. Uh, we have obviously the random, uh, you know, 
starry-eyed uh, recruit that comes up to the office and is under the impression that we are selective in hiring, which is definitely not true. But um, we have gone out, we've tried to find people, and we've gotten lucky a few times. But even when we find recruits, it's very difficult to hold on to them because we we can pay our writers because we don't have a journalism school, and we are able to do that. But um, the system we have in place makes it incredibly difficult to get paid, and that's very frustrating to a lot of people because even though it isn't a lot of money, if you dangle it in front of their face, they're going to want it. And um, that has definitely provided some challenges. And the fact that, um, you know, we've had to overwork the few people that we have had means that recruitment has been a problem, but retention has been an equal problem, if not more so. And um, that's been pretty rough this uh, this this year. Let's talk about the future. We have a new young editor who seems to be unqualified for her task. However, you know, it doesn't... How do you feel... How do you feel this paper is going to be next year? Do you feel like this paper will succeed? I mean, honestly, your guess is as good as ours. I mean, what you have is a core underneath her, which is, you know, I'd say probably better than the one that walked in at the beginning of last year. And it's not a it's not a negative toward the people who were here in the past. It's just a good core of young writers, photographers developed this year. And I think a lot of people were encouraged moving forward that the paper had a Real strong future, one, two years down the line. Very, very strong paper, potentially. And, um, you know, this this selection for the next editors kind of, you know, it's given a little bit of turbulence to that. It could be great. It could sputter with some growing pains. I mean, certainly, when you have senior leadership who doesn't have experience with an organization, it, it presents challenges. I, I mean, a lot of people ask me about right at the beginning, you're like, can you equate this to anything? I said, well, imagine the president of the United States was selected from from a as a mayor from a town of 2,000 people. It's not to say a mayor of a town of 2,000 people couldn't be president of the United States. It's to say, none of us know. I mean, if you have a, you know, a governor or a senator, like, you know, the last couple of presidents have been, you, you have a pretty good idea. They've done senior leadership positions on a almost semi-national level. But you really took someone who is a unknown and threw her into the mix. So it's going to be interesting to see how she does. I mean, I, I honestly can't speculate. Based on her qualifications and experience, that wouldn't have worked in an old sort of system we had. The system, if she's going to work, has to evolve. The evolution that takes, no one really knows. I mean, that's going to be a process we're going to have to see unfold. I'm be, honestly, I'm gonna pick up. I'm gonna go and read the paper online every day next year just to find out, see what happens. But it's a, uh, it's gonna be a very interesting transition. Do you feel that the staff members that are the senior staff members that are the core of the paper, do you feel that they will play nice with this new editor, and do you feel like they can be team players for the coming year? Um. I can't speculate for them, but um, at first I definitely had my doubts about it. It seemed like not many people were going to come back, uh, but it seems we've got a huh. It seems we've got our core group of people, like the the senior staff. That uh, several of them were definitely promoted before they should have been, but they've stuck around with us, and we really appreciate that. They seem like they're going to come back, and they're just going to whether or not they agree with the board's decision and whether or not they agree with the person in charge. They're just going to continue doing what they do and what they love, I hope. And um, 
and just continue to make their section regardless of what's going on around them, which is definitely something to be admired. So you're saying that there have been students in the technician before that you feel have been promoted before they deserved it. So there's a history of promoting younger students not, in the technician. Not deserved, just are ready for it. I think Amanda would have been, all of us agree that Amanda would have been an excellent editor-in-chief in a year or two. And there are um, there are some staff members that, and that's been that's definitely been a part of the burnout that I should have mentioned. Um, they freshmen in like top positions in the paper, they just aren't ready. They're you know still learning to get a, you know they're still getting acclimated to college, and um, but they have stepped up beautifully. So uh, and filled these positions that they've been asked to fill that they've been that they, we've needed them to fill. So maybe there's hope for Amanda yet. So you think that. Amanda, if she gets the right stuff, proper training and and support from the staff, she will be able to do a good job at the paper. Yeah, those, those were a couple of conditionals there. Training is essential when you start talking about how you develop a newspaper staff. You have to have the right people in the right roles. And, um, you know, the sort of overburring Kate was talking about, that's exactly one of the key issues there. Because when you have freshmen and sophomores who move up into these crucial leadership positions, well, I mean, do they even know what their course load looks like down the line? I mean, that's one of the advantages, perhaps, doing one of these jobs as a junior or senior. You start to develop a sense while you go through college of what sort of time you need to devote to your work what certain classes require. I mean, there's just a general understanding as you go through the college experience of, well, I know I have, you know, this 400-level engineering class coming up. I know how much time this takes because I've talked to everyone who's taken it before. So I know I can handle this along with this. But perhaps a freshman or sophomore doesn't understand that. And that's one of the big concerns I think a lot of us had was we're thrusting someone who's going into their sophomore year and into, you know, a real, honestly, even when we tell you it's a 40-hour-a-week job, plus, 40-hour-a-week plus. I mean, I, I probably spend at least 50, 55 hours, and they're all giving me thumbs up, go, go higher. It's true. I mean, it's a 10-hour-a-day job, and that carries over to weekends. The emails never stop. We all know that. Um, that, that really holds for almost every job nowadays. But in particular, the uh, importance of answering in a timely manner is essential for a newspaper, a media organization. So you're really putting a very, very high time burden on someone who's young. And it, it's a lot of it, as I think we've tried to make clear, isn't personal. It's that we're actually worried if she's going to ha- be able to have the time commitment that she needs to have and devote time to training, not only training staff members, training herself. That's a, that's a real challenge. And one she's going to have to take on headlong if she wants to be able to put all together next year uh this is chris chavi for on the triangle i'm here talking to tyler everett uh deputy sports editor this past semester going to be sports editor in the fall and we're going to talk a little bit about um some of the decisions recently made regarding the uh, upper level management of the technician so can you talk a little about what the student media board is made up of who they hire um i know during the normal selection process if there was an editor candidate to begin with it would have been a part of all the editor headed edited or the all the other hiring processes where all the candidates get together uh in student senate chambers and are edited or 
and are vetted and or interviewed all together. So who's on the student media board who was in charge of hiring the technician editor this year? Well, the 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 process actually broke it up in two separate boards. There's an advisory board that meets and then the student media board works with the recommendations of the advisory board and its own queries to actually select the editor. And that advisory board in the past has met, but it didn't actually issue recommendations. It was essentially just an open forum for students, you know, administrators, staff, faculty, whoever, to come and ask questions of the candidates. And then the selection process occurred at the student media board. This year, it actually had a executive session, so a closed-door meeting, where they discussed um, the candidates and issued a recommendation, which was, of course, the board could not go with that recommendation um, when it votes on an editor, but it did. And um, it did also did for the other student medias uh, at the previous board meeting the month before. But um, that student media board is composed of, not the advisory board, but the student media board, which actually selects, is composed of professional members from the committee, um, the editor of the Durham Herald Sum, Bob Ashley is on there, John Clark, the general manager of WRAL.com, is on the professional staff, and uh, there's also a faculty member. Uh, Dean Phillips, he's a lecturer in communications. And additionally, there are student representatives, um, elect, appointed ones from CHAS, elected representatives who are selected in the student body wide elections each year. And um, management also has a seat on the board. And uh, that's pretty much it. And that group gets together and they all have a vote at the table in selecting the editor. But they would go upon the recommendation of the advisory board. And Tyler can talk a little more about that. And we also have with us Tyler Everett, a member of the SAVE Technician Committee. Tyler, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, what basically happened was there was a meeting the night to the, the night um, the decision was made to hire the editor. The night before the other committee had met, they had made their recommendations. That night, the recommendations were read out. The recommendations were to hire Amanda Wilkins. The floor was open for students who did not have the right to put a hand up and actually have a vote, but lip service was paid to the idea of us giving feedback. Every senior level staff member in there consented on the idea that it was a very bad decision, one we we did not agree with at all, to hire Amanda. Um, reasons talked about in the previous interview, just the inexperienced um, a photographer, an entry-level photographer, jumping all the way up to editor-in-chief, especially one with no writing experience, a major, unrelated, the reasons go on and on. Anyway, reservations were voiced. Um, the committee heard these, took them into account, um, if you want to say that, but then uh, they went along and voted to approve the committee's recommendations. It felt to me, I don't want to speak for everybody, I'm sh I, but I do feel like most other people agreed with this, that um, you know we spoke our piece, but it was ignored. We didn't actually have our hands up, so they listened to it, but then they went right ahead and made the decision, in my opinion, as if they'd never heard what we said. Now, why do you feel that this, the student media board put this committee together at all if they were just going to ignore your... Um, requests. Once again, I'm being a little repetitive. I think it was the idea of lip service. Um, it, it's one thing to say, I'm going to listen to you. You know, I'm going to hear your opinion and I'm going to take it into consideration. What is this taking into consideration? Where do you prove that you took it into consideration? You know, if I listen to your opinion and then I make a decision that disregards it, did I genuinely take your thing and did I genuinely take your thoughts into consideration or did I say I did? I think, um, I think, uh, yeah, I think they they put out the idea that, that we were going to give input 
and then it was going to be directly influential, and I just don't think it was. I think we gave the input, and they said, hey, okay, um, and then they they didn't act on it. Um, in my mind, they ignored it. That might be a little harsh, but, but yeah, it felt like, you know, the input was given, but it wasn't really, nothing was done with it. It was, it was maybe putting this a little stronger, but it felt like it was ignored. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Do you feel like you have anything else to say before uh all this being said, um, it's good to get this out now, so hopefully we can make changes at the top. But I do think um, it's, it's kind of crying over spilled milk now. We need to move forward. We need to realize Amanda's going to do the best she can. Um, there's, there's certainly not a problem with her for hiring. It was admirable for her to do so. I think the staff under her is willing to do everything they can to, to make the best of the situation. And I hope all this negativity will be a thing of the past very soon. Do you feel as an editor you will be uh, encouraging your fellow staff to be amenable to Amanda and try and support her and what she has to do next year in this huge task? Yeah, I mean, we, we have to. We, we've talked so much about how, how she's so maybe underprepared, underqualified. That's all the more reason why we have to be that much more helpful. We have to do everything we can to help her. Um, it, it'll be strange because we'll kind of be training and coaching up someone that's technically above us, but that's what it's going to have to do, you know. The people that have written a lot are going to have to help her with, with what's appropriate and what's not. Can you go ahead and uh, talk a little about, before we uh, move on, what steps forward uh, technician will have to be taking next year to um, try and make the paper into a like a respected daily newspaper um, with the biggest student population in the North Carolina state school system? Um, I think recruiting is going to be a huge thing this summer. I think we got to bring people on board, and then once we once we get them up into the office, I understand from what I gather that that it's not necessarily that hard to maybe get a little bit of interest. the The important thing is building on that recruitment and immediately translating that into retention. It's getting people doing. You know, we've got to provide them with incentive, whether it's intrinsic. You know, you're going to enjoy this. You're doing people a favor. You're helping yourself. You're having fun, or whether we can convince them that you know that their voice really does matter on campus, that the paper still is respected. It's going to be a matter of, of convincing people that, that this is still a worthy cause. It's it's something we're capable of carrying out. And um, optimism is going to be something um, that's going to have to to be uh, harped upon because people don't want to be a part of something they see as negative. You know, we, we've just, it's, it's going to be a lot easier said than done, but the thing is going to have to get people to buy into it and get them to want to do this for the right reasons. Um, a lot of this sounds cheesy, but <laughs> just trying to get people to um, to do their best, not because they feel like they owe it to somebody, but because they want to and because they, they feel passionate about it. And I think in years past when the paper's been the most successful, it's because people have motivated themselves and motivated each other. This year, it seems that the student media board did not really listen to your grievances. Um, can you talk a little about how you, in in going forward, will try and help them to listen to your concerns and uh, help them listen to what what the senior technician people know and what they know works and what you can do to get them to listen to you and to respect you? I think it's going to come down to repetition. Um, I don't think this is anything new, but I don't see some magical phrase or action we take to lead to a breakthrough. I think it's just going to be a matter of keeping up these issues and keeping them at people's attention and eventually I don't think they're going to fall on deaf ears forever as far as a specific plan or strategy I don't know I think it just needs to be continued to brought up to be brought up and we need to demand legitimate um, input and we need to demand that 
our input not just be listened to or considered, but we need to see where our input was legitimately taken into consideration and implemented in the decision-making processes um, to which we were giving that input. Um, I think it's just going to be a matter of, of keeping it going, and, and hopefully um, hopefully, eventually people start listening. You know, I, I've felt like all this stuff we've done, all the uh, – all the – um, protest the petition, the articles about how we weren't happy with it. I felt like, you know, from what I gathered, people just aren't really taking action, and I think it's just a, a matter of time. Um, I hope it. I hope it's not going to be something horribly drastic to get people's attention. I hope it's not going to take a walkout or something like that. Parts of me wonder sometimes how long it will take, and if that is necessary. I'd like to think um, enough continued complaints and enough continued voicing our um, concerns in the right avenues will finally will finally um, draw some attention to people and uh, will get us the help and the control and independence that are the backbones of a newspaper. Hopefully that will help restore that. Thank you guys so much for your time. Um, uh, it's been a pleasure. This is a very important issue that I think everybody should be discussing, and hopefully this will uh, bring some more light onto uh, the issue as a whole. Thank you for talking to us today. Listen to Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC 88.1 FM Raleigh. Uh, after the break, we'll be talking with some members of the media board as well as the advisory board uh, about the efforts to save the technician and their viewpoint of what went down at the meeting when the new editor was selected. You're listening to, You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Today we have Bob Ashley, editor of the Durham Herald Sun, who is on the advisory board of both technician and student media the body that governs student publications like Technician and the Nubian Message, as well as broadcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Thank you so much for coming on the air with us, Mr. Ashley. Glad to be with you. There's been a lot of talk about the problems with the Technician keeping afloat right now. It's been covered in the Triangle. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've seen over the past few years at, with regard to problems or what issues the Technician has been facing? Sure, and, 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 and I'll say right up front that I haven't, Followed it in minute detail, so I'm going to give sort of a, a broad look at it from my perspective, which is that first of all, uh, you know, I think there have been some folks, uh, lots of folks, who've been working very hard and with a great deal of passion and commitment to put out, a, uh, put the technician out every day, and uh, and do by and large uh, a good job of covering the news of, of the NC State campus. Uh, I think, you know, again, my sense uh, on the board is that they have struggled some in the last year or so with getting sufficient number of people on staff to be able to spread the workload enough so that folks aren't feeling overburdened. And the sense of overburden has, I think, contributed to uh, some people's sense that they didn't want to be involved because the workload was too great, which in turn meant they had too few people doing it. So I think they've really struggled with, uh, to some extent, with recruitment, to some extent with retention. Uh, and they've been doing a pretty valiant effort to get the paper out uh, with, uh, with two few people. Not surprisingly, uh, you know, I think there's been uh, you know, partly as a result of that, and partly for reasons I frankly don't understand. Uh, I think there's been a sort of growing sense of, of, of kind of being somewhat afflicted on the staff, and I think that's, that's shown some in the paper in recent weeks. The most recent topic is... The selection of editor-in-chief-elect Amanda Wilkins, who's a freshman staff photographer, and she will take over in the summer to run the summer edition, um, as well as the 
2010 to 2011 edition. First of all, could you explain the decision-making process to hire her? Sure, glad to. And, it, and, it, and as you know, and, and others know if we've been following this, uh, this was a difficult spring in terms of editorial succession at the technician. Uh, you know, the, the initial problem was at the time of the deadline for choosing student media leaders for next year, uh, there were no applicants. So we, we advertised, opened the job uh, for the first time, at least uh, at least in recent history, to uh, potentially to non-staffers who were invited to apply. We were facing a situation where no one and sort of the obvious senior leadership of the paper uh, had been initially willing to step up and, and, and try to contend for the position. We ended up with five applicants, I think, if I remember correctly, I think it was five in that second round. Three of whom had no experience on the uh, on the staff, and two of whom did. The, the technician advisory board met, uh, interviewed all the candidates, reviewed their applications, their position papers, their credentials. I think it pretty clearly, pretty early, became clear to the group that that the candidates with no te- technician experience would face a particular hurdle. We were very impressed with Amanda Wilkins. Evident passion and enthusiasm for the job. She articulated a pretty clear um, set of um, goals and expectations for what she would like to do with the newspaper uh, in the year ahead. And granted, uh, the, the fact that she was barely concluding her first year uh, was a topic of discussion. I think that was certainly something that the board. Talked through and concluded that with the prospect of having some experienced other staffers uh, on board going forward, that her vision for the paper and her passion uh, and her uh, what we sensed was her ability to be a quick study uh, for the aspects of the job she was less familiar with would make her the best candidate for the job. And the advisory board's uh, recommendation uh, was unanimous. Student Media Board, which met the following night and acted on that recommendation. The executive editors expressed a concern that they weren't allowed in the deliberations of the advisory board for the technician candidates, and the editors-in-chief usually are. Is that true? A change in the procedure this year, and I think this may be a source of some concern uh, on the part of the staff, was that, although it doesn't affect the, the point you just raised, was that rather than have the full student uh, media board interview all candidates for every office over on one night and then discuss the candidates and make a decision the next night. Uh, we chose to ask the advisory boards to do the interviewing and then make recommendations to the board. Now, having said that, under neither structure do I recall that while anybody, and mostly anybody, meant staff members from student media, could sit in on the interviews with the candidates, the discussion of the particular candidates and the vote, whether it was the recommendation vote this year with the advisory board. Uh, well, the discussion of the candidates was actually done because it was a personnel issue without public members present. That's my recollection of past years. I don't think that was any different this year, although it occurred at the advisory board level rather than the full board level. By the way, I mean, part of the issue here was that uh, I think last spring, uh, 
mind that that process had the board in session until nearly midnight on two successive nights. I don't think that that's particularly the best way uh, to, uh, to make thoughtful decisions. And that's what led us this year to a process where the individual advisory boards, uh, and in the case of uh, the, the, the Technician Advisory Board, it also interviewed the, uh, the Nubian Message uh, candidates, was to take the interview process and break it down into not necessarily smaller groups, because the advisory board include uh, additional members. And then there are members of the student media board that are on the advisory board, and then there are other members, for example, my colleague Nancy Weichel, who's on the advisory board, uh, took part in those interviews, and then I was there the second night also for the, for the board meeting. That was the change, was to break those interviews down so that we could spend more time, frankly, with interviews and discussion of the candidates in that group, and then make a recommendation to the full board rather than have the full board conduct every interview. I can understand that people might differ or find a fault with that uh, process, but it seemed to me one that gave uh, candidates a, a very full hearing before the advisory board, uh, and perhaps with a greater sense of, of attention to detail than could be made by the full board when it was looking at every candidate. Interviews with the candidates folks present and watching that, uh, that those interviews, and they know what questions were asked, they know what positions were taken and presented by the candidates. The group then met to discuss the candidates and make a recommendation, and the recommendation was made in a fully public meeting to the student media board, and any discussion of that recommendation was fully public. The advisory board wasn't involved uh, in previous okay. years. It was only the student media board. Okay, and so the advisory board this year recommended to the student media board who they believed would be the best candidate for editor-in-chief of technician. Right. As, as, as the respective advisory boards did for uh, Agromech editor, uh, for Nubian message editor, for WKNC uh, general manager, uh, what am I leaving out, for Windover uh, editor, I mean, each of those was a recommendation. It happened over two months instead of all at once because there was no technician candidate to recommend in March. Mm-hmm. All those other decisions were made and made, you know, recommendation to the full board, board discussion, board decision uh, in the March meeting. But the technician carried over to the April meeting because we had no candidates to recommend in March. I actually, I, I was not at the March um, student media board meeting because I was out of town, but my understanding from reading the minutes is it went as, exactly as planned. I mean, there were recommendations made in the board that acted on the and the technician process was the same as every other student media leader process, I guess, is what the point I'm trying to emphasize. Mm-hmm. But it was different this year than it was, it was last year. year. Past years, okay. For, for every student media. Uh, you touched a little bit on the recurring problem that technician is going to face, the recruitment and retention and the hours. But what specific challenges do you think that the technician is going to face next year with a fairly fresh leader, the, the negative feelings toward the administration that some to a lot of the staff feel. Uh, I guess what challenges, all those combined, along with the current existing ones that have been there for years, what do you think that, what do you think the technician will face? Well, I think it's going to face some heavy lifting. I mean, what can I say? I mean, that, I think, you know, there's no denying the fact that it's going to be a, uh, a, a slog to, uh, to get through there. I think on a positive note, I think that, again, um, Amanda comes into this without as much experience as 
some people might wish that she had. She also comes into this without making any value judgments on right and wrong here, without some of the baggage that has accrued with the challenges, particularly this year, particularly in the aftermath of the first semester with the editor. Uh, I mean, you know, clearly there were wounds over the initial, the editor at the beginning of the year, the first semester, not being able to continue the second semester. Uh, and the fact that, you know, no one really wanted to step into that job. And I, I, I think the world, the three folks and the three senior editors who stepped up and said, we're going to keep this thing going and have worked enormously hard. And, and some of, not all of them feel, and I'm, I'm terribly sorry about this, feel wounded by the process. But that's, you know, I think one of the things that the technician will have going forward is, you know what, the year's going to end, a new year's going to start, there will be some fresh, hopefully, some time for uh, experienced folks on the staff to perhaps think through uh, how they can best serve the interest of the institution, both the institution of technician, the institution of NC State, and, and serving the readers at NC State. I think that Amanda and, and others on the staff will be working hard to bring new people on board for whom all of this will be history. The challenge then will be to find out how to bring those folks, bring people on board, get them excited about putting out a great technician, getting enough people involved so that the workload does not become onerous. I think it's going to be a challenge for Amanda, as it would be for anyone coming into the editor's position, to find a way to delegate in a way that keeps the editor job from being a crusher, which I think it has been, and that's why many people were discouraged initially from coming forward for that job. Um, and they'll face all those challenges at the same time that, uh, that you know, every day somebody's going to be standing there saying, well, it's, you know, it's midnight, it's time for the paper to go to the printer. So it's, it'll be an interesting uh, it'll be an interesting ride. I think that, uh, you know, I think, again, I, I don't fully grasp the reason for what's become sort of bad chemistry between the advising staff and some of the senior staff. But I know that, uh, that, that Bradley and, and others on that staff, and I think they're hiring, in fact, a, a new position to add to the, to the, some of the help, particularly on the production end uh, of the, uh, the technician, are there to help help solve problems, to help uh, find best, the best ways to, uh, to move it forward. They have a writing coach now that should be able to help uh, develop uh, some of the writing strengths that will speed things up for folks. Um, you know, they've got a raft of challenges, but I think, first of all, they've got a great tradition. The technician's been around for a long time. It's going to be around for a lot, a lot longer. Uh, and I think, ultimately, people are going to conclude that it is carrying forward that tradition that's the most important thing of all in serving the students at NC State with a really good newspaper is what's there. And I think they'll work I think they'll work it through it. I think they're good you know, they're good people involved. I think it will work through this and find a way to come together and uh, and put out a, a good paper that makes people excited to come in and, and put that paper out every day. Because otherwise you know, I've been in this business a long time. If you don't come in every day thinking it's the most fun you can have That was Bob Ashley, editor-in-chief of the Durham Herald Sun. You're listening to VIP only on Eye on the Triangle. 
My name is Rachel Sloan, and today I had the opportunity to interview Kelly Brackett, a senior in communications and a member of both the student media board and the advisory board. She called in to discuss the advisory board's recommendation to the media board. You're on both the technician advisory board and the student media board. How did you get involved in both of these, and how long have you been involved with both of them? The reason that I got involved, I'm a TAS student ambassador. Their leader sent out an email about and was request for applications for the student representative from the TAS department, and I was interested because I had written for the Acromec before and for the technician, and then I've been in I'm a journalism minor, so I just kind of have an interest in that and as a whole, so I thought it would be a good position, so I decided to send in an application. And, and now that you have these roles, like, what do you see your role being in both of the boards, being on both the boards? Well, I'm a graduating senior, so I'll be gone from NC State on May 15th. But when I first started out, I was interested. The technician has had a lot of issues since I've been a freshman, but we've, I think that they've also done a, a really good job of covering a lot of the news events around the community and on campus. So I think that I was just interested in seeing more about what the Student Media Board does and how they influence decisions and all that. What do you see your role being on both boards? Well, I was chosen to be on the advisory board because I did have um, experience with the newspaper before and with the yearbook. Basically, we went through, you know, and had talked about, you know, changing the process because I guess in years past, in years past, um, they had stayed up by interviewing all the candidates in one night, so they were there for a long time. So they thought this would be more efficient, and I think it was. The board was made up of alumni and current students and then also professionals that worked directly with I think the board was really effective, and they made a good decision in choosing the advisory board. I think every individual that was there, was their best interest was to see the technician succeed in the future. So they wanted to pick a candidate that would help do that. Do you think the advisory board made the right decision? I will say that, I mean, it was a difficult decision, and we debated for a long time, but it came down to... Amanda Wilkins, she had the enthusiasm. I mean, her resume was really strong, and she had a good good intentions. And she, the other candidates that were there, honestly, just didn't have the either lack the enthusiasm or lacking experience. And we thought that Amanda kind of summed everything up, and she had the motivation that we thought needed to be for an editor that could revamp the technician. But we did also strongly recommend that she work um, hand in hand with Nathan, who was also an applicant. Um, he had more experience, although it wasn't on the technician, he did have solid journalism experience and also um, had clear thoughts for where the technician he thought should be headed. So those were our recommendations. And based on the candidates, we, I mean, even though there was another candidate who did have direct technician experience, he honestly wasn't, did not have the enthusiasm. And we didn't think that, you know, he was, he honestly didn't want the job. So it was kind of that kind of decision where we wanted to go with the candidate who also had enthusiasm and experience, although he was young. Did it raise a red flag to you or anyone else in the meeting that the executive editors or any current staff members uh, were not present in the deliberations? Yeah, I mean, I've been reading um, Technician has been, and um, I mean, I, I definitely agree that there should have been media board members there. We did listen to their questions throughout the, the whole process, and then they were asked to leave when we were making the decision. And I think it would have been helpful to hear from them, but it at the, on the same note, it was clear who they wanted to be the editor-in-chief, and it wasn't that, you know, the advisory board just t- didn't take that into account, but we we were interested in, in revamping the technician and maybe, and I know there has been some, like, issues with clicks and stuff like that, so they were interested in just, you know, making sure that the technician was a 
community where everyone could come and write and it could be start building a better foundation, like restructuring the, the foundation that the technician has. There seems to be a gap between the professionals on the board and the students. How do you think the gap could be bridged? Well, there, I mean, there's a, I don't know that it's with a problem with the professionals because there is a group of, I guess, young professionals and we do have older professionals on the board. So I don't know if there's a gap. There may, maybe there needs to be more diversity for and include professionals that are maybe right out of college and maybe even right, you know, from the technician and now work for different publications. But I think there just really needs to be more of a voice so that everyone's on the same page because obviously from a lot of the articles, there's a lot of frustration coming from the staff. It's not that of directors doesn't want to hear it. It's just that with the way everything's written right now, I think that there's not possible to have someone making the decisions and so they just need to be rewritten. There don't seem to be any meeting minutes posted and there wasn't a motion to go into closed session. Is the advisory board subject to North Carolina open meetings law? Um, there's definitely, we were received minutes from every meeting via email. So I know that there definitely is a record of minutes. Um, I'm not sure if they're available to the public but I would think that they would be. What steps do you think need to be taken next to fix the current issues raised with technician? And what does the board need to do, and what do the students need to do? Just from reading the comments and the petition that um, has been started by the technician, I think it's frustrating to see that the new editor-in-chief hasn't been welcomed. I mean, I think it was, although it maybe wasn't the choice that the technician was looking for, I think it was a, a good decision, and I was kind of disappointed to see that they didn't really support her in the role. They're frustrated with um, the advisory board and the student media board, but I think the changes should be made in the future, but that they should still make the best of the situation and really embrace Amanda as the editor, and they have the summer to get everything together and hopefully that they can make the best out of everything in the fall and so the technician's reputation can be restored on campus and in the community. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm here with Amanda Wilkins, editor-in-chief of the 2010 to 2011 technician. Um, thanks for joining us, Amanda. Thank you. Okay, so we just have a few questions. Um, so why did you decide to run for editor? Do you feel like... Oh, sorry. Why did you decide to run for editor? Um, well, I've been working for the technician for about a year, and working with the people in the technician staff has been wonderful. And when no one applied for the technician editor, I was really concerned, and so I put my name in. in. Okay, and so do you feel like you're fully equipped for the job, and if not, how do you plan to be? Um, I know that a lot of people have been concerned, and, you know, I have my own concerns, and people have brought them to my attention. So I am aware of what I need to fix. Um, I need to study AP style, which I have been doing a lot lately of. Um, reading, writing, practicing my writing, um, and really just, you know, getting to know the staff a lot more. So, Okay. Um, and so what are your plans for next year, I guess, generally? Wow. Oh, goodness. <laughs> It's a whole year to work for the technician. Um, well, I'd re I've really been working a lot with features, and, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot. Also, um, we're working on news, just the news section in general, and trying to get ourselves out there. Um, recruitment is a really big deal, so that's a whole summer project. We're also um, reevaluating the website and the whole entire layout of the paper, so that's a big deal. Okay. Um, so how long have you spent during production Okay, so the production aspect of the production aspect of technician is something that's 
nightly, um, four nights a week, five, five, five nights, nights a week, yeah. <laughs> five nights a week. Um, so how long have you spent up there, I guess, learning the trade, the nightly trade? Well, um, before I actually became official, I spent two weeks straight up there until from start to finish. Um, sometimes, you know, it would be a little bit later in the evening when I came in, but usually from about five until one in the morning, I was up there every night for two weeks. Um, I produced my first paper last night, so it was, and it was a very successful paper. Um, it'll be in the newsstands for two weeks, so we'll just we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and so there has been a lot of controversy surrounding your hire. You mentioned that earlier. Um, so how, what do you think about the way that the staff and, I guess, the students are responding, and how are you responding to their response? Honestly, um, I've had a lot of support from from the students and from a lot of staff. Um, it's, it's been really positive. It's really, it's been great working with people and, um, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a good opportunity to reestablish a technician within the community. Cause I, I think that's one of the, another reason why I applied is there seemed to be a disconnect between the students and technician. And I believe that, you know, I've created a really good relationship with a lot of clubs and um, organizations and they've already told me that they're willing to come and talk with me and suggest story ideas so that's it's good that the technician seems accessible once again yeah um so a lot of current staff members feel that there is an issue of lack of student empowerment within the technician so how do you plan to address that issue student empowerment can you please define that um i guess that the the power student um that the power that editors and staff have over the production of the paper and the content that goes in it we have complete control of that and if there is dispute, then I can stand up and say that there is a dispute and that it's wrong. It is up to the students of whether what we publish or not, and it has nothing to do with our advisor or with um, any upper-level management. If they have a concern, they can come to me and talk to me about it, but in the end, it is my decision whether or not I run it. Now, if it is having to do with libel or any other legal issue, I can understand the concern. And so what are you most excited for about next year? And um, on the opposite hand, what are you most worried about? Um, well, I'm really most excited about just, you know, getting out there and actually getting to do it. I've, gotten already, I've already gotten to talk to a lot of great people out there. So it's been really good um, in that aspect. It's also been great working with the staff. I mean, everyone is really enthusiastic about the next year. So it's the only time will tell exactly what, what has to come. My concerns... Um, you know, I really don't have any, you know, over the summertime, I'm going to be working really hard developing my skills to make myself a better editor-in-chief so my staff can won't have to worry about anything with me. So, Okay, well, thank you so much for coming in today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I apologize for going over a little bit. To hear the full show, you can check out, uh, including unedited interviews, you can check out this week's blog at wknc.org slash blog. So to hear the thoughts of another advisory board member who is a journalism professor and mentor to many technician staffers or to hear the full interviews from all the interviewees and to read more on this topic, you can once again check out the blog this week at WKNC.org slash blog. Thank you very much. Tune in next week, 7 o'clock, for Best of Eye on the Triangle.